All right. Well, we're starting a Christmas sermon series this morning called Hark! The Angelic Announcements of Christmas. Uh, There have been uh, times throughout human history, we read in the scriptures, where God had an important message to deliver to people, and he chose to use angels as his messengers. And God had the most important announcement, the most important message to give 2,000 years ago, when he stepped into human history as a human being, when Christ came. And in some cases, in that story, he used angels as his messengers. And so we're going to look into the Christmas story this year and look at these angelic encounters. And I believe that as we look into His Word uh, this Christmas, we're going to find that He's still trying to say some things to people, important things to us. And my prayer is that you will hear from God this Christmas season. Maybe not through angelic encounters. Who knows? Maybe you will. Um, But through His Word. Uh, and in your own quiet time with the Lord, that we will hear from God what He has to say to our hearts. What is God saying to you this Christmas? That's the question that we're going to keep coming back to over the course of this series as we take time in the chaos of December to listen to God's Word. So the three angelic encounters that we see in the Christmas story, um, when when. God's message came through angels. The first one is to Zechariah, the husband of Elizabeth, Mary's cousin. That's where we're going to start this morning. And then next week we will look at the angelic encounters that Mary and Joseph had. And then lastly, to the shepherds on a hillside in Bethlehem. And uh, each week we're going to look at one of these scenes and unpack them together. So, turn to Luke chapter 1 this morning in your Bibles. If you have them, if you don't, you can use the Bibles in the seats in front of you. And the words, uh, the text will also be on the screen. Luke chapter 1, and we're going to start at verse 5. When God spoke through an angel to a priest named Zechariah. So this story takes place, verse 5, in the days of Herod, king of Judea. In the days of Herod, king of Judea. Let's just stop right there. We need to understand the historical context of this story. Uh, King Herod was known as Herod the Great. Probably should have been called Herod the Jerk. He he was a uh, paranoid narcissist. Uh, we, when we visited Israel, we saw lots of things that Herod had built and there was evidence all over the place that this guy was an arrogant, selfish, mean-spirited, paranoid jerk. Um, he's the <laughs> and the message today is, we all know some people like Herod. No. <laughs> um, This is the same guy who ordered the murder of all Jewish toddlers because he felt threatened by baby Jesus being called the king of the Jews. Because he thought, no, I'm the king of the Jews. So this is is Herod the jerk. And uh, Herod's mention here reminds us of the historical context of the story. 
the people of Israel were occupied by Rome at that time in history. Um, Caesar was their king, but then all throughout uh, the Roman Empire in each city-state, in each region, there were these puppet rulers that were put into place by Rome, uh, and one of those was Herod, who was overseeing Israel at the time. And uh, this was an exceptionally difficult time for the people of Israel. An exceptionally difficult time. Not only politically, but also spiritually. They were in a period here of what you might call spiritual silence. The period between the Old and the New Testament. The Old Testament ends with the prophet Malachi, and then there's 400 years where there's no prophecy, where there's nothing, uh, no one hears anything from heaven. And so the last of the prophets, as I said, is Malachi, and it ends with a promise. We just turn there for a second, the, the end of the Old Testament, before you get to Matthew, which is the first of the New Testament. We have the book of Malachi. And in the last two verses, the very end of the Old Testament, this is what it says. Malachi 4, verse 5. It's a promise from God. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And that's it for the Old Testament. And then begins a period of silence. My Bible has a blank page. A period of silence. 400 years. No prophet spoke. No official word from heaven for 400 years. Over the course of that time period, Israel was conquered by Alexander the Great and then by the Roman Empire and the Jewish people were caught in the crossfire of all this. They were conquered. They were oppressed. Paganism of these other religions was, of these other cultures was infiltrating their culture. And more than any other period in Jewish history, they longed and prayed for God's Messiah to come who they understood, who they hoped, would be a great ruler called and empowered by God to bring the glory of Israel back, like in the days of King David. But all they got for 400 years was silence. Now I just want to talk about that for a minute. Because this experience of silence from God is not only something that happened to Israel, it also happens to people. It also happens to us today. Most Christians, most of us who know the Lord, can look to some period, some season in our life, past or present, when God seemed silent. Where it felt like He was giving us the silent treatment. Where it felt like maybe God was on mute. Maybe you've been praying for something for a long time and you're still waiting. You feel like your prayers are just hitting the ceiling. Maybe you're going through a dry spell spiritually. We good? Okay. Something's happening here. Something's happening here. And what it is ain't exactly clear. 
Maybe I should just stop playing with it. I'll try not to dance or anything. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe you're going through, you're going through a period of this silence, like a, a spiritual dry spell or, or something like that, where you long to experience the presence and power of God, but you're not feeling much of anything. Some of you can relate to that. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we look at this angelic announcement to Zechariah. So we're introduced to this couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. So let's go back to verse 5 of Luke chapter 1. And it says this, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So he's a priest... And she's also part of the priestly line. Verse 6. And they were both righteous before the Lord, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So this nice, older couple, he's a priest, she's of the priestly line as well, serving faithfully, They love the Lord, and yet there's a problem. The problem, they can't have a child, and now they're old. And they think, well, our time has passed. In the Jewish culture of that time, that was uh, uh, something that would bring shame on you. Uh, People people tended to think that maybe your inability to have a child meant that you were being punished by God for some sin that you committed. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. That was a cultural understanding at the time, but the Bible doesn't teach that. And we know that for this couple, sin was not the reason that they couldn't have a child. Luke goes out of his way to say that they were blameless before the Lord. So this was a faithful, sweet, elderly couple doing the work of the Lord in a world where they hadn't heard from God in 400 years. And yet, here they had this personal struggle of childlessness. And some of you can relate to that exact problem. Some of you have been unable to have children and you know the heartache that that can cause as well. So whether it's about having kids or some other thing that you've been waiting for, maybe you're waiting for a spouse. A lot of people are waiting for that right person to come along. Or a clean bill of health or an appointment or an improvement in a relationship or someone to come home who's been wayward or whatever it may be. We can find ourselves in these periods of God's apparent silence. Periods when it feels like God is on mute. If you look up the word despair in some dictionaries, this is one of the definitions that you'll get. Despair is to no longer have any hope or belief that a situation will improve or change. Some of you understand despair. And the Bible doesn't tell us if Zechariah and Elizabeth were at the point of despair. But I can imagine that they must have had at least some seasons where despair crept in. Seasons where they prayed and prayed and prayed for a child and yet over and over and over all they heard from God was silence. No word from the Lord. No baby. And it says in verse 25 of Luke chapter 1 that Elizabeth was experiencing reproach disgrace, shame as a result of this. And then one day, now it gets good, one day something happens. Verse 8. Now, while he, Zechariah, 
was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And there appeared to him... Oh, hold on, we'll stop there. And the whole multitude, verse 10, and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. We'll stop there. Okay, now, so let's, let me explain what was going on here. So, uh, there was in Israel at this time a multitude of priests. Thousands of priests. And Zechariah was just one of thousands. And so they divided the priests into smaller groups or divisions or orders, and they would take shifts to do the work in the temple in Jerusalem, because that was like a high honor. And everybody wanted to, everybody wanted to serve in Jerusalem, so they would do it in shifts. And about twice a year, your order or division would get called on to go and serve in the temple. But even in their divisions, they had more priests than were necessary. So not you, you might not get called very often ever amongst your own division to even go in and serve in the temple. You might, this might be like a once or twice or three or four times in a lifetime kind of experience to be able to serve in the temple in Jerusalem if you're a priest there at this time. And so, um, so what they would do is they would, uh, when it was their shift, they would go and they would outside the temple, they would, the priests would cast lots to determine who would get to go in and serve in the temple that day. And we don't know what casting lots was in ancient Israel. Um, there's been some speculation. Maybe it was sort of like drawing straws, drawing sticks or something like that. Maybe it was something to do with uh, pottery shards that had things written on them and you pull out a pottery shard. Um, uh, and, but we don't know. But they would cast lots, whatever that was. And the lot would fall on, the lot this time fell on Zechariah. And so, by apparent random chance, we'll see in a minute, it wasn't, that he gets to go in and offer the prayers and incense to God on this day. But this was no random chance. This was the unseen hand of God at work. And I want to make an important point here that just because God appeared to be silent for 400 years with the nation of Israel, did not mean that God was absent. Just because God was silent in the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth when it came to having a child, did not mean that God was absent. And likewise in your life, just because there are times when it seems like God is silent does not mean that God is absent. Oftentimes, we confuse the silence of God with the absence of God. But the Bible says that He will never leave us nor forsake us. That's a promise for the child of God. So just because from our limited human perspective we can't see or hear God or feel Him in those times of silence, it doesn't mean that God is any less real or present or active in and around us. Never confuse God's silence with his absence. Our kids on Thursday night had their first school Christmas play in Truro. And uh, it was down at CEC, and it was wonderful. They did a great job. And um, some of our other, yeah, Amelia's in Harmony Heights as well. Um, we're just really, it's great. And I'm a bit of a theater nerd. I love theater. Ruthie's into theater as well. She had one of the starring roles in the play. She was the Easter Bunny, uh, actually. This Christmas play had all of the characters you can imagine, except for Jesus. (laughs) There was even a witch. Um, But no Jesus. Anyway, what do you expect? There was a hot dog and a pickle and a witch and the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy. 
and reindeer and the snowman. snowman, but no Jesus, but that's okay. Um, that's a secular school. What do you expect? Okay, anyway, um, that's, that's a side point. Um, so, anyway, I love theater. Ruthie loves theater. And uh, theater is something that I've enjoyed participating in over the years. And I hope uh, at some point in my life I'll get back to the stage. I love it. But um, stage plays are often divided into two acts, right? And uh, sometimes more, but at least two acts. And there's often an intermission. And then, so, the, the curtains will close on the first act. And then uh, you get to get up and stretch and go to the bathroom and get a drink or whatever. A few minutes and then you come back and you sit down and the lights go out again and the curtains open on the second act and you often will find as the curtains open on the second act that while you were out in the lobby using the bathroom and all, all those things stagehands were actively working behind the scenes to transform the set into something completely different and so it might have been one scene when you left but when you come back and the curtains open it's a totally different scene and it's a wow you know and so while it seemed that the curtain was closed and nothing was happening between these two acts right that actually there was all kinds of activity happening that you just couldn't see it getting things set and setting the stage for things to be exactly the way they were supposed to be and this I believe is what God was was doing in between the Old and the New Testament. This was the curtains were closed and, and it was between the first act and the second act and God was setting the stage behind the scenes and it seemed like, oh, nothing's happening. But in fact, God was very active. And this is what's happening in our moments of silence as well. In those intermissions when it seems like God has abandoned us. No, He hasn't abandoned us. He's just busy working behind the scenes, setting the stage for what is to come next. And even though you have no idea what God might be doing in your seasons of silence, and you have moments when you doubt He is even real anymore, we can trust Him. And when the curtain finally rises, however long it takes, you will see that your life is now perfectly positioned to accomplish God's will for you. Never confuse God's silence with God's absence. Zechariah was chosen by Lot to enter the temple that day. And he may have thought, oh, this is the luck of the draw. But it wasn't. It was the unseen hand of God at work who had been working for 400 years to bring Israel to this moment in time. This was the big moment. God was about to break his silence after 400 years. And he spoke through an angel. Verse 11. And there appeared to Zechariah an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. This was a natural response. In fact, almost every time I think that you read in the Bible of someone encountering an angel, they are afraid. It's a natural response. But then, verse 13, the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Wow. All those years, praying for a child, wondering if God was even listening, hearing nothing, and now, the angel, who we'll find out in a minute, is Gabriel, 
has a message. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. God was listening. Your prayer has been heard and a baby is coming. And not only that, this child will be special. This child is not only an answer to your prayer for a baby, but he will answer a prayer of the nation of Israel. Uh, Your son, you'll name him John, and he will be a prophet who will pave the way for the long-awaited Messiah. Let's continue to read verse 14. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And then it says, verse 15, uh, continuing, And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. That sound familiar? To turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the people, make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So what is this about? So uh, in verse 15 we read there that uh, it says that he will not drink wine or strong drink. This is indicating that, that the son is to be committed to the Lord with what is called a Nazarite vow. A Nazarite vow. So uh, sometimes we think Jesus was called uh, Jesus the Nazarene. That's because he was from Nazareth. A Nazarite is something different. So don't get that confused with Nazarene. A Nazarite vow was a vow that people would take to commit themselves to the Lord. And there were certain things that you weren't allowed to do if you were a Nazarite to set yourself apart. Um, Three things, no cutting your hair, no touching dead bodies, and no drinking alcohol. Okay, this was what it was. In the Old Testament, we have Samson and Samuel as two examples of people who took the Nazarite vow. And John the Baptist is the only Nazarite mentioned in the New Testament. And it says also, so we know he's going to be a Nazarite. The angel has said that. Also, that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And that kind of foreshadows the scene when, uh, when Elizabeth and Mary are visiting, both pregnant, and then Jesus inside Mary's womb. Uh, and... Uh, and uh, John inside Elizabeth's womb and John does a backflip. You know, uh, he's all excited uh, when Mary comes around. And that's just foreshadowing that. Uh, And then in verses 16 and 17, we have a sense of what his ministry will be. Let me read that again. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him. Who's him? Him is Jesus. In the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This is about repentance. He will lead people uh, to turn away from sin and come back to God. This is what John the Baptist would do. That's typical prophet stuff. But the mention of Elijah here is, is a direct connection to that very end of the Old Testament where prophesied that Elijah would come again and prepare the hearts of the people for the Lord to come. And that's exactly, this is an exact fulfillment of that, that that John the Baptist will be the second Elijah. All right. Let's just skip down here. So we're going to, I'm going to skip some of this that I had here, verses 18 to 25. We have the story continuing where uh, John expresses a little bit of, of doubt to this scenario, seeing as his wife is old and whatnot, and, uh, and he's old, and they're just thinking this isn't possible, and so the angel uh, strikes him with a punishment for his doubt, and the punishment, ironically, 
is a period of silence. He can't speak, um, which is interesting. And uh, I think maybe Elizabeth might have been grateful. Who knows? Um, And then we have this miraculous conception that takes place. Not miraculous in the way that Jesus' was. It was not a virgin conception, but miraculous in that that they were an old couple and unable to have a child, and yet they are able to by the grace of God. And the child is born. We read that in verse 57. God comes through. John the Baptist is born. The next Elijah, as was foretold. Let's, let's conclude by some takeaways. What are we learning from this story today? Okay. Here it is. If you're experiencing a period of God's silence, three things that... It does mean, and two things that it doesn't mean. First of all, it doesn't mean, necessarily, that you've done something wrong. If you're in a period of this silence where it feels like God's not answering your prayer, it doesn't necessarily mean that you've done something wrong. You know, um, I'm fiddling with it again. Um, Sometimes people, you know, they seem to have a real, a real direct line to heaven. And, uh, you, know, you know, you'll be talking to them and they'll say, Oh man, I was having breakfast this morning and God just spoke to me and said this or that. And, or, you know, uh, I just have the sense that the Lord wants me to go and do this thing. And, and, and you know, the Lord told me, you know, I, I was eating my soup and the, the noodles all lined up and spelled a word. And God, God is saying something to me. And I just go, wow, that's good for you, but I'm not, God's not talking to me in the same way, you know. Um, I, I don't hear Him quite as loud and clear. Uh, and I, you start to question, you know, am I doing something wrong? You know, like, am I not as spiritual as these other people? Like, what's wrong with me? And, and it doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong if you don't have that kind of, uh, kind of uh, audible connection to the Lord. Um, now, as a caveat to that, there might be, I would say, two cases when if you're experiencing silence from heaven, maybe that there's something that you need to do. One, I would say, if you haven't accepted Christ yet, uh, if you're not a Christian, you can't expect to hear from the Lord. Um, you need to accept Jesus into your heart. You need to repent of your sin and turn to Christ as your Savior. Be born again in newness of life and, 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 and enter into a relationship with God and receive eternal life. And, and then you will absolutely be able to hear from God. If you're experiencing silence from heaven, that's probably why. Right? So that's the most important thing you need to do. If you've never turned to Christ in faith, that is what matters. That, nothing else matters, right? In the words of Metallica, right? nothing else matters. Yes, the pastor quoted Metallica this morning, folks. <laughs> um, nothing else matters. That's all that matters. You've got to do that first. Um, Another thing is if maybe if you are living in willful sin, willful disobedience to the Lord, yeah, that's going to affect your relationship with God as well. If you've got something going on in your life and you know it's wrong and you don't care, um, God may, that's going to, that's going to cause a, a barrier between you and the Lord. But, but that's not what I'm talking about this morning. I'm saying that if you're a believer, like Zechariah and Elizabeth, it says they were blameless before the Lord. And you're going through a period of God's silence. It doesn't mean that you've done something wrong. It means that God is up to something else that you just can't see or understand yet. It doesn't mean that you've done something wrong. Uh, number two, it doesn't mean that God is absent if you're experiencing a period of God's silence. As we've said already, 
Um, God is at work all the time in ways that we can't see or know or understand in this life. And when we feel like God has abandoned us, we can totally rely on the promises of Scripture that for the child of God, the believer in Christ, is never left alone. Uh, Remember the image of that stage at intermission, right? We can't see what's going on behind the curtain, but when the curtains open, finally we can see what God was up to. So don't confuse the silence of God with His absence. Number three, it doesn't mean that God isn't hearing and answering your prayers. Zechariah and Elizabeth, God, it's God said, you know, the angel said, your prayer has been heard. God was hearing your prayers the whole time. And just because God doesn't always answer yes, doesn't mean he's not answering your prayer, right? Sometimes there's sort of three different ways that God answers prayer. He can say yes, or he can say no, or he can say wait, or not yet. And so for Zechariah and Elizabeth, the prayer wasn't a yes, it wasn't a no, it was a not yet. That was the answer. So it doesn't mean that God's not hearing or answering your prayers if you're in one of these periods of silence. Four, here's two things it does mean. It does mean you're in good company. Abraham went through two periods of God's silence, totaling 23 years of his life. Sarah... Joseph, David, King Hezekiah, and the list goes on. You can read in the scripture all these different people who had experiences where they had seasons of God's silence. Believers for centuries have been experiencing seasons of God's apparent silence. Even the strongest Christians go through these times. Mother Teresa had a period of silence, she said, lasted for more than 50 years. She called it her dark night of the soul. And yet she served faithfully, nonetheless, for 50 years. I don't know if there's any film buffs in the room. Um, I'm also a, I'm a theater guy and I'm a film guy. Um, and I love Martin Scorsese. Now, not everything that he does is necessarily worth watching. But um, uh, he's made a movie called Silence. It's on Netflix. And uh, it tells of the story of these Japanese missionaries. Or these missionaries to Japan. Um, years and years and years ago. Some of the first missionaries. And, uh, and their struggle that they had there being persecuted. And, uh, and it's called silence because uh, it reflects the fact that these priests felt like God was silent and how they served faithfully despite that. It's a good movie if you're into that. It's like long, I think it's like three hours, so you've got to commit a whole night to it. Um, what else does it mean? It does mean that God is taking you deeper. I believe that God uses these seasons to transform us, to shape us, to grow us. I can't say for sure how, and I'm sure it's different for everybody, but I wonder if God uses these seasons of silence to cause us to long for Him more deeply and to learn to trust Him more fully, to make us more thirsty for Him. You know, uh, when I'm preaching, I need to drink water. A lot of you notice that. I'm drinking water all the time because I get really dry and you don't want to have dry preaching on a Sunday morning, right? (laughs) Terrible. Oh, man. That was what my pastor used to say all the time and I just said, oh, groan. And now, here I am. Um, Generally speaking, I'd rather drink root beer. I'd rather be drinking Coca-Cola. Definitely not Pepsi. So, just got to put that out there. Um, 
Uh, but when you're thirsty, like I mean really thirsty, right? You're not drinking pop. You're not drinking, right? You are, you are getting water because that is what you need. more. You, there's nothing you need more than a big old glass of water to quench your thirst. And maybe God is using these periods of silence to quench, to make us thirsty, to cause us to long for Him more deeply, um, to make us long for the water that He has available to us. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who thirst, for they shall be satisfied. Maybe God uses these periods of silence to teach us to trust Him more fully because when you, and I like this quote, when you can't see God's hand, you can trust His heart. Amen. 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 Let's pray and uh, Kyla can come and begin to play. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, we thank You for this story this morning, this true story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and their experience with You. We thank You, God, that they were faithful, that they trusted You, that they kept praying. And God, uh, that you did a work in their lives. We know, God, that uh, you want what's best for us in your timing and not in our timing. And that one day, Lord, you will lift the curtain, even if it's not until we get to heaven. And we will find that everything is exactly as it should be. So we even are bold enough to say thank you, Lord, for the times of silence, for the work that you're doing in our hearts and behind the scenes. We thank you for John the Baptist who came to prepare the way for Jesus, the fulfillment of prophecy. We thank you for Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our hope. We thank you for this time of year as we reflect on the coming of our Savior and the peace, the hope, the joy, the love.